there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Getting set for a three is Porter. Barry Porter. Three seconds on the clock. Porter has time and hits the three. Welcome to Sound of Spurs podcast presented by HEB. This is episode number seven, and we're very pleased to be joined by Terry Porter, 17 years in the NBA, two-time All-Star, had some great years with the Portland Trailblazers. His number 30 is retired uh, by the Portland Trailblazers. He spent his last three years as a player with the San Antonio Spurs and a lot of stuff since then, so we'll get to that. But uh, Terry, very good to see you. A proud son of the city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's right. Bill, great to be with you. And uh yeah, yeah, proud to uh, say that Milwaukee is uh, where I um, started my basketball career and uh, played little, little little dribblers, and it's all started there. Now, we hear about these legendary playgrounds in Chicago and Philly and New York. Uh, Milwaukee is not too far from Chicago, and some good players have come out of Milwaukee. Yeah, we've been, we've been blessed to have some great players over the years come from Milwaukee. Uh, Fred Brown, um, you know, downtown Freddie Brown. <laughs> When you go old school and right. Latrell Sprewell, myself, and Golden State Warriors have two guys, Poole and Moody, are two guys from uh, Milwaukee as well. So we we sprinkle a little bit, uh, some guys in there. But uh, no, it's been it's been a pretty good basketball spot. And of course, Marquette University has had a great basketball tradition right there in Milwaukee. Yes, the University of Marquette has some obviously great coaches, but great players who've gone on and wore the Marquette uniform and, and gone on to play uh, in the NBA. Maurice Lucas, I mean, I think. Mm-hmm. Doc, uh, Doc Rivers, and so, uh, you know, Jones. So there have been some great uh, great programs in Wisconsin, and uh, Marquette's obviously been one of the, the better uh, universities. I go back to those jerseys worn on the outside, oh, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> Jerome Whitehead, I think. <laughs> those were some classic jerseys. Those were the early days, and they really start, I guess, be the first university to kind of, you know, spread out a little bit, went out of their way to kind of get more uh, fancy and not the traditional, just tuck them in and, and uh, I think it was something that the fans really enjoyed. And when you were a kid, the Milwaukee Bucks came of age. Lou Alcindor, later known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, the big O, Oscar Robertson. I'm trying to remember some of the guys on that team. But uh, those guys were really, really good ball club. Well, yeah, that was in my early days. And my brother and my dad introduced me to 
the professional basketball. And I got a chance, like you said, to see the big O and Bob Dandridge and some of those guys. Obviously, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lural Center back then. So, you know, those are the early days of the NBA when it was just kind of starting to find its way. So when did you find your basketball roots? When did you say, hey, I, I want to really make this my passion? Well, I think as a kid, I grew up playing basketball. I grew up playing a lot of sports. Um, you know, as a kid, you grew up, we played our big sports in our neighborhood was football during the winter, you know, and basketball in the summer. And, and then obviously played a little baseball in the summer as well. But um, seriously, when, you, when I started getting really sad, I guess high school years and then college years is when I start playing and practicing a lot more and really just trying to, you know, first from the high school years, trying to get a scholarship or trying to get an opportunity to play at the college level. And then from college, I had a, you know, went to a small school, NAIA school, Stevens Point, which is about two hours north of Milwaukee. And I didn't know about my potential in the NBA until later, uh, 1984. But, um, yeah, it, it's been, it's been a, a great journey and a very surprising journey along the way. It's a small school, but very well known for their basketball tradition. And, of course, Dick Bennett, <clears throat> a legendary coach, was your college coach. What was that recruitment like? Well, it was it was interesting. So, <laughs> you know, Dick Bennett was at um, what you would call we were at a state. Um, we we're trying to get the state, and so we were in the regional bracket. And Dick Bennett actually was there to see another kid on the other team. And so, a funny story: his his wife is the one who identified me as gave him a little elbow. I learned later he gave she gave him a little elbow and said, "You need to start looking at that number thirty and start paying attention to the other number thirty. And I was the other number thirty. So. We joke a lot when we get together, uh, his wife and I, about she giving him the best two players he ever had. That's his son, Tony Bennett, right. who's now coaching at the University of Virginia. He coached him at the years at Green Bay and then obviously myself. So we always say she's got the eye for talent in the family. Well, it was good for you to kind of latch on to that Bennett family at that point because obviously it was still very early and he went on to great things as well. So um, you have a great career at Wisconsin Stevens Point. You get to the NAI Finals. Right. That must have been a heartbreaking loss. Uh, what do you remember about that game? Fort Hayes State Beach in the finals, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, you, you, the, the losses stick with you longer than the wins do. And uh, for us uh, to represent our conference and represent our state and make it to the national championship, uh, it was an unbelievable experience. And uh, like you said, it was disappointing that we lost. And uh, it was uh, a very competitive uh, game. Fort Hayes State was a local university. Um, right there in, in Kansas City, and we um, just didn't make the plays at the end of the game. But, no, it was very competitive and uh, one of my uh, better stretches of, of playing amateur basketball. There must have been a few scouts uh, there uh, watching you play because you were the only NAIA player uh, to be invited to the Olympic trials with all these big-time Division One guys. Did that give you a boost of confidence at that point? Like, hey, I can play with these big school guys? That gave me a, a huge boost, and it kind of gave me uh, my first kind of um, – I guess, indication that I may have an opportunity to get played in the NBA. Back then, again, to, to educate your, your viewers, back then they had about nine, they had nine rounds. They didn't just have two now. So I knew I was going to get drafted. And so uh, funny story about the 1984 Olympic trial. So 1984, it was going to be in L.A. Bobby Knight was the coach. Uh, you, had, you had mentioned earlier that I was the first NAIA player ever at that time invited to Olympic trials. There's the head uh, of the NEI on a national level is the gentleman who called the selective committee every day and tried to say, look, it's time for you guys to really have an opportunity to invite at least one NAI player. And um, I was blessed that I was the one guy that he identified, and I was able to go to the Olympic trials um, with 90 other collegiate players at the time. 
And I made the first cut, made the second cut, and then I got the chicken pox, believe it or not. Wow. Cut the chicken pox and had to go back to Stevens Point. And everybody had their opinion with Bobby Knight. They're either hot or cold on Bobby Knight. But the way he handled my situation was um, something I always have much respect for him. He told me, hey, you deserve a right to try to compete for this position and represent your uh, USA in Olympic trials. I went back um, after a week of recovering from the chicken pox, and I got cut. Um, and your audience may remember two other names that I got cut with, shared the van with. One by the name of John Stockton, other name by Charles Barkley. The three of us <laughs> rode a van together to the airport uh, with the last cut before they made it to the Olympic trials. And, of course, this is before the NBA uh, allowed players or the Olympics allowed NBA players. So it was truly a, a kind of an all-star college team. Yeah, it was a legitimate collegiate team and legitimate talent um, from the college uh, level. You didn't have any pros. You couldn't even have any pros that played overseas and came back. Um, so it was, uh, I think it was the second to last time, like you said before, because I think the, the dream team was 90. So, yeah, it was the uh, second to last time before they start allowing professional basketball players to compete. It's not about your highlight reel. It's about reaching new heights each and every day. It's not about if you sit in the nosebleeds or courtside. It's about showing up. Hey, good game, 25. You too, man. It's not about wins. It's about winning over others by treating them right. It's about more than money. Frost, the official bank of the San Antonio Spurs. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Uh, this is Sound of Spurs podcast, so we want to get to your time at the Spurs, but we can't skip your time in Portland. Uh, you get drafted uh, in the first round by the Trailblazers. You go to a whole new place, whole different world for you, I'm yeah, sure. Exactly. Uh, yet, immediately, you become a Trailblazer. Well, yeah. Well, I was blessed to, uh, you know, get drafted by the Portland Trailblazers. Their scouting team, uh, Stu Inman and uh, Bucky Buckwalter and uh, the rest of their staff recognized me and all those amateur competitive uh, events that the NBA goes scouts and prepare for the draft. And so I got drafted there, had Darnell Valentine as a veteran there who really helped me, talked me a lot about being a pro. Um, Stevie Coulter, who another veteran who really talked me and schooled me a lot about what it was like to be in the league. And then uh, I was fortunate and blessed to have some great coaches. I had Jack Ramsey as my first coach, taught me a lot about, again, how to eat as a professional, how to take care of my body. And then Rick Adelman, uh, who was unbelievable. Uh, Mike Schuler, uh, who was a great coach. And so just fortunate and very blessed to have a lot of great coaches. P.J. Colissimo was one of my coaches there in my stint. And, uh, you learned well, Italian food from him. That's right, <laughs> Italian food and a lot of cuss. <laughs> you know him, don't you? <laughs> but, no, it was, uh, it was a great experience. And we were able to uh, you know, have some great teams and make some great runs. Two, like you mentioned, two NBA finals and came up a little short nose. But, no, it was an um, unbelievable experience for me those, those first two years and to really be able to play at such a high level. When people look back at your time in San Antonio, because you came to the Spurs late in your career, you were 36, 37 years old at the time, uh, and you ended up being the point guard, I guess, between Avery Johnson and Tony Parker uh, during that three-year stint. Well, Tony, yeah, I think Avery, and then it was me, and then Tony was actually here when I was here. So Tony was, God, 19, I was 36. They used to call, so it was TP, me, and then TP, Jr. (laughs) So Tony was considered junior, and... uh, I just knew he was going to be good. Obviously, his speed was the first thing that you noticed right away when he got on the basketball court. His ability to go to one end of the floor to the other end and really um, had a great passion um, for the game. And obviously, his dad, who he learned a lot from, who played over in Spain, um, obviously uh, taught him a lot about the American game and how to compete. Well, you know, it's interesting because when he first came, uh, you know, he's a slight little kid. He, he looked like a kid. He, did, yeah. he had that baby face yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, as you know, he got that toughness, and I think, you know, Pop obviously was tough on him uh, at first, you know, trying to groom him to be a good NBA player. Uh, but we saw Tony kind of grow up right in front of us that first year. Oh, no question. I, th- I think Pop uh, realized his potential, and Pop was really hard on point guards. Uh, I think anybody who played that position for coach um, is always something that he demands a lot of knowledge and and some spunk and some ability to compete. And Tony had all those skills. Uh, you could tell that early on. Uh, I've seen enough of his back, and he went running past me in practice to know that <laughs> he was going to be good. But, no, I just loved the way he competed and the way he always talked to me about just the league, my years in the league, my years in the playoffs, my years in making it to the finals, what that was like. And he just always, um, you know, wanted to know more and more about the position and about the league. And, of course, you got to share the court with two other Hall of Famers, uh, Tim Duncan and David, yes. David Robinson. Uh, just a few moments to talk about those guys and uh, your first impressions of them. Of course, you went against them for years as an opponent, and now your teammates all of a sudden with them. Well, I mean, I obviously start with David. David, uh, we had some we – battled, we battled in the Western Conference Finals when uh, Larry Brown was uh, the head coach and, and Pop was the assistant coach. And uh, those Spurs, earlier Spurs teams that had – um, uh, they had uh, well, Sean Elliott was on that team as a starter, and they had uh, Terry Cummins, and they had um, you know obviously David, and so it, it was a very competitive head to head. But what I loved about David was his ability just to impact the game in so many ways. I mean, his 
his speed, you didn't see that in a big guy. His, he was just as fast as, as a guard. And his ability to uh, block shots and run the floor and, and figure out how to score was something that you just didn't see in a seven-footer back then. He was way ahead of his time. Yep. And, of course, the big fundamental, Tim Duncan, who probably would have been, Terry, I think maybe the number one pick had he come out after his junior year. Mm-hmm. And he decides to come out after his senior year. Of course, he's the number one pick. Spurs got a, a nice little bounce there, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that was a pretty fortunate bounce for the Spurs. And they'll tell you right up front, you know, it was pretty fortunate to, to be able to pair Duncan and Robinson together. Uh, but Tim seemed like he was very mature when he got to the league. I think that's one of the things uh, you noticed right away when Timmy first got in. Um, you know, he was very calm, um, very professional about how he went about his craft, how he went about preparing every day in practice and practice and how he worked on his body that needed work. And so, and he just got better and better. And, uh, you know, anybody who's at that level, who's that great, he always had an inner drive. He, Timmy, I would say more introvert. He, did, he wasn't one that yeah. he'd have all these motions lay out on his sleeve. But he had a fire in his belly that was just as as uh, strong as anybody else, and he wanted to win. He loved to compete. Uh, my first year with the Spurs, uh, I was just trying to take it all in, and you guys had such a good, um, you know, spirit about you. And one of the guys who was always kind of involved in the hijinks was Malik Rose. Yeah. Uh, how do you like having Malik as a teammate? <laughs> Malik was great. I mean, he was very emotional, yelling, screaming. You know, us older guys or more veteran guys, you know, we kind of quiet. But we need those young guys' energy and, and, and a spark. And, you know, he would be running around all the time, pat, tatting, patting guys on the back and, uh, you know, telling them to pick it up. And, uh, no, just a great amount of energy you needed in practice and more in the games and on the bench. When you look back at your three years as a Spur, as a player, uh, what are your fondest memories? Well, just having a chance to compete. Um, I think uh, the players themselves, the, the whole, I mean, I think this, people don't realize the Spurs were the golden standard back then. I mean, their culture, the way Pop um, in, uh, invited guys in, the way he really embraced guys, the way this community embraced people who put on the silver and black. And those are the things that I take a, a, along with me. Obviously, the players, Avery Johnson, who are a very good friend of ours, a uh, dear friend of our family, um, you know, all the many guys, Steve Kerr, Danny Ferry, I mean, David Five O, and like you said, Mr. Fundamental. So uh, those relationships, when you get onto a battle and you're able to compete at such a high level, those relationships are um, substantial and and long-lasting. It's the 50th anniversary of the franchise, and if you can take yourself out of that equation for the three years you played, uh, when you look at what the Spurs' legacy is uh, in 50 years in this league, and of course the time spent in the ABA, because uh, the first few years of this franchise, they were in the old ABA, which is is fun and unique. Uh, What would you say the legacy of the Spurs is? Well, champions. I mean, I think, um, you know, even for the earlier days, they had unbelievable players. Think about the Iceman and the ABA days. More you think about guys who were just um, game changers. Art Gilmore, uh, Artist Gilmore. I mean, so you go from the ABA days to obviously the uh, into the merge into the NBA and the standard they set um, and um, their ability to really become um, a golden standard. A lot of teams tried to copycat. This is a copycat league, as you know. Uh, a lot of tried to copycat their culture and just how Pop and Peter Holt really allowed to mend the team and, and bring in the type of players that fit this community and fit that organization. And you certainly were one that fit right in. Uh, you, you were certainly a big part of the community when you were here. You went into coaching uh, after <laughs> your playing career. Your last three years as a player was yeah. with the Spurs. Uh, and I know you got a degree in communications yes. uh, from Wisconsin <laughs> Stevens Point. I was kidding with you about this earlier. And radio television was part of that. So did you think, at least for a moment, before you got into coaching, about maybe getting into television or radio? 
Yeah, I did. I mean, my last year with the Spurs, I started talking to friends of I knew who was in radio and, and TV and talked to people I know about coaching as well at the collegiate level as well at the pro level and just tried to, you know, have coffee with them or meet down and have lunch with them and talked about the pros and cons of both of those professions. And I just – I just had an opportunity to go out to Sacramento and rejoin Rick Adelman and, mm-hmm. and Jeff Petrie, who was uh, part of the Portland uh, process when I was there, and just felt it just felt good to be able to reconnect with those guys. Was Pete Carrill on that staff, the old Princeton yes. coach? Yes, he was. Backdoor Pete. <laughs> <laughs> well, Terry, I grew up in the Palestra in Philly, right? So Penn and Princeton, that was a big, big deal back in the day when the Ivy League was really good. And, of course, Pete Carrill just, uh, you know, talk about fundamentally sound and uh, know how to play defense as well. Pete was um, an amazing, amazing basketball IQ. Just one of those guys who, who mindset and just knowledge of basketball was uh, across all generations. And he could teach anything to anybody, no matter what the age separation was. He just knew how to get in the young man's mind and, and talk about the game and bring it to a point where they really could enjoy it and then uh, enhance it themselves. When you got a chance to be a coach yourself, first an assistant, then as a head coach, did you find yourself taking a little bit from each of the coaches and each of the experiences that you had from different guys like Dr. Jack and Pop? I mean, you've played, obviously, for some very Rick Adelman, uh, some very good coaches. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, like you said, I've been blessed to be coached by a lot of uh, Hall of Fame coaches. And you try to take some, a little bit from each one and try to blend it in with your own personal beliefs and your own um, you know, missions and what you think is important. And a lot of times it's the same thing. I was blessed to be on a lot of good teams, and a lot of it had to do with always having a good culture, always bringing in the right players, always having players that you think have good basketball IQs and want to compete. I mean, I think that's a, that's a thing that you always try to look for as you try to evaluate guys to try to be a part of a franchise, to try to go on and try to win a championship. And, of course, you continued coaching at uh, both the collegiate level and the professional level. And uh, as you picked up different things along the way, I know some of it had to be one of those th- situations where you look back and say, you know what? I got that from Rick Adelman, or I, I got that from a, a guy that I played with, maybe. Yeah. Uh, just different things. And that's the great thing about experience, 17 years of players, all those years as a coach. Well, yeah. I mean, as you acknowledge, um, you know, so much of what you learn is about your experiences and under those particular coaches that you were able to say you liked, you didn't like. And um, I was blessed to kind of, you know, think about the way I wanted to play, the way I want to coach, and really learn from a lot of the guys that I was able to play for. Uh, now, at this point in your career, you're taking a little sabbatical right now. I ran into you in Portland. Uh, <laughs> I ran into you in Portland a few weeks ago, and you're just kind of chilling right now. So um, bring us an update on what uh, Terry Porter's up to these days. Yeah, I'm still relaxing a little bit, doing some things. Um, I've been in some talks with some people. I'm probably going to um, do something here pretty soon, but that hasn't been announced yet. But, uh, no, excited about, uh, you know, what the future has. And it's gonna. I'm trying to stay close to basketball. I think that's the area where I really can, again, lend my experience and really be valuable to an organization. Now, you're still back out in the Pacific Northwest, is that right, in the Portland area? That is correct. I'm still living in Portland. Is Seattle ever going to get a team, Terry? I hope they do. I mean, obviously, being a part of those great (laughs) I-Fi rivalries, it's like, you know, having San Antonio and Houston, right? You can't, you know, deny those uh, rivalries and just the the nature of just being so close that you want to have that team represented, that city represented, because it – it was such a great rivalry back in the day and uh, had, I mean, God, you talk about some of the great teams that have been a part of that franchise and the championships they've had along the way. So you hope that the NBA would embrace that community again and really bring back that, uh, that franchise. 
Terry Porter, thanks so much for joining us for Sound of Spurs. Uh, wouldn't be the same without you. Uh, you, you were, it was great to have you, and uh, best of luck in your future. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Great to be with you. Okay, episode number seven, former Spur Terry Porter, three years of the Spurs late in his career, and uh, we'll take a break, and we'll have more Sound of Spurs coming up next week. Surprise guests coming up. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.